Lord, sometimes you fill us and you give us a quiet moment in which we understand truly how rich we are in you and how much we have already received. Lord, we look around our lives and our lives are filled with so many good things. And Lord, we confess that sometimes our hearts are wicked and selfish and we, look, we just look for the things that are wrong or that we can complain about. But in your presence, you begin to show us that you have been so good to us. And as our hearts are overflowing with that idea, that, that truth, we're so grateful for times like offering where we have a chance to express in worship of giving that you really are worthy. And you are greater than every other thing we try to hang on to in this life. You are greater than every earthly ambition and every earthly good thing. And I just pray, Lord, at Harvest, that you will always keep teaching us that you are the most worthy one. And when our lives are completely burned up and given for you, then we find our greatest riches. We pray, Lord, that you will take this offering and you will do something powerful to lift up your name and to touch the lives of people who might otherwise just go on day after day in darkness and apathy if this money had not enabled ministry to happen that touched their lives and spoke the name of Christ. Father, we look forward to another session in which we get to hear your word being proclaimed. We thank you so much for your servant, Pastor Young, for the way that who he is as a, a son of God, as a lover of Christ, comes out in his preaching is honest and it challenges us we thank you for his evident love for Christ and we pray that as he preaches today you also fill us with awe and wonder and a love for you Lord we ask that you would continue the work of igniting us individually and setting our church on fire for Christ in Jesus name Amen I thought I was in pain yesterday, but this morning, I haven't worn cleats in a long time, actually like 10, 15 years, and they gave me these cleats, and like I can feel the cleat points on my foot. I'm just asking for sympathy here. <laughs> I know you're sick of, oh, thank you, thank you, yeah. And I've been in a dilemma since last night because, uh, I mean, this, uh, I mean, I actually appreciate it. At this retreat, you know, Pastor Dave asked me to preach uh, three messages. And actually, Friday night, I snuck in, like, one extra one. Uh, and, like, there's, like, a couple messages that I wanted to preach, but I had to choose between the two and between the three. And so we're going to end with this one. And in my mind, I'm, like, thinking of three messages. So if I start going, like, all over the place... Forgive me, but since we were in the Psalms, I'm going to end with a uh, message in the Psalm. And, uh, I mean, this is what our church is doing through the summer. And, you know, I, I told them to actually read through the book of Psalms through the summer. And, um, you know, I actually have this, like, Zanga site that I try to post uh, some devotions about, you know, the Psalms. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But usually, you know... It winds up with pictures of my kids and not much. So we, we first used to call it, you know, uh, Pastor Young's devotional. Now we just call it Pastor Young's blag. Because there's more pictures of my kids than there is of scriptures. Shame on me. Okay, Psalm 1. We're going to go to Psalm 1. <clears throat> and this is a very familiar psalm to many of us. But... Let's read it and uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and, his, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in, in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. 
and the wind blows away, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. Um, the title of this message is Transforming Choice. Transforming Choice. And, and um, let's pray, and then we'll go into this text. Lord, I pray again that you will speak to us in a practical way, that there's some things as we leave uh, this retreat, this time of celebration and rest and just incubating in your presence uh, and in your word that you will help us to leave here with just some things, um, a mindset that will help us to be like a tree planted and rooted deeply into you. And I pray that you will speak to us and give us ideals, thoughts, uh, so that what we heard in here, what we experienced in here, that we will not just let it wash away Monday when we go to work or when we go to wherever we need to be, but that we will really drink from your presence that we felt here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know about you, but um, the, one of the reasons why I asked my guys to read the book of Psalms is that, you know, the book of Psalms is actually a very complicated book. I shared it at the first night and the second morning, uh, in the morning, that, you know, it really doesn't give you, you know, easy answers. In fact, it has like ranges of people in confusion as well as some of them are doubting God and some of them are glorifying God. There's just all these types of psalms. And I think it fits because I think life is complicated at times, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know what it is, but life seems to just get complicated unnecessarily. I mean, that's why we have all those Korean soap operas and and then American soap operas, and, you know, and our soap operas. And, you know, we wish life was simple, but, you know, it, life is complicated. I, I was just telling my congregation, um, you know, our refrigerator broke down about a year ago. And, uh, you know, we bought a new refrigerator. And as we're buying a new refrigerator, one of the biggest thing about this new refrigerator, it had its own, like, filter system. You know, so we're like, oh, my gosh, you know, that means we don't have to, like, you know, filter the water and other things. We can just get it right off the door. And so we're really excited. Got this refrigerator and with the filter system. And then we, if you come to my house, the refrigerator has to fit in this one corner. And between these, like, you know, uh, shelves or whatever, you know, contain. I can't, I can't think. I'm so tired. <laughs> you know. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You know, we can become an African-American church if we do this right. All right, uh, cabinets, all right? Uh, and um, and it, it fits just like snug, okay? And what happened was, you know, first two weeks, like, all my family were so excited. We're just drinking water out of no reason because it was filtered, you know? In a new refrigerator, we're drinking water, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this water is filtered. We don't have to filter it. This is great, and we're drinking water like that. And then into two weeks, the water started to taste, like, taste metallic. We're like, what's going on here? And so, long story, and I'm going to make it long, okay? I'm not going to make it short. Uh, and what happened was we called the, uh, you know, Sears repair guy, and the guy comes, and he says, oh, you know, he thinks it's this, and it's not right, and he thinks it's that. And finally, it went on and on, and finally he says, you know, we, we need to take out the reservoir. So I need you to move this refrigerator out. Well, when we tried to remove the refrigerator out, we found that it was stuck. We didn't know why it was stuck. And he just said, listen... I can't move this out because, you know, that's not part of my job. When you guys move it out, call Sears and we'll come back. So me and, you know, I was trying to move it out. Usually it's supposed to slide in and out, you know, but it got stuck and we didn't know what to do. And so I, I realized it was actually stuck on the bottom of my uh, floor, right? So I called my mom, who's like 66 years old, because the, the woman is like, you know, she's like strong. I mean, and... <laughs> No, I mean, she's just, just you know, she's very uh, uh, in, ingenious. I mean, I can't, all right. She, she's a quick thinker. And uh, so she comes over, and, you know, my dad, of course, he's looking at it, and he goes outside, couldn't walk around. And me and my mom is trying to figure out this refrigerator. Could we just call the guy? They're going to come. And so we're trying to do it, and it's stuck. And then my mom just starts thinking of these crazy ideas. Next thing I know, we had moved the, the oven out of his socket to the side, and then we found out that it was stuck on this kind of cabinet. So she's like, we got to knock this cabinet out. I go, Mom, what are you talking about? You know, how are we going to put it? Don't worry. Pick the hammer. And boom. Next thing I know, I, I moved. The, I knocked out a whole cabinet. In my mind, I'm going, my wife's going to kill me. And she's going to kill me, right? And then I found out it's really stuck. And so what happened is the refrigerator is another guy. He comes, 
And me and my mom, you know, this, you know, Asian, she's like tiny. And me, we're trying to move this refrigerator. It ain't working. We're trying to slide all this stuff. This big American guy comes and he looks at it and he grabs the refrigerator. He's shaking the thing and oh, he's like power of 10. Okay. And he's like moving this thing. Then he looks, he goes, Oh, you know what? If I can move this out, but it will rip your kitchen floor out. What do you want? And then he goes, this is what he said. Sears refrigerator repairman goes, man, life is just not easy, is it? It gets so complicated, doesn't it? And I go, profound. (laughs) You know, that is so profound. I mean, have you ever found life like, you know, I mean, you just want to live for God and it gets complicated. You know, you just want to serve church and it gets complicated. You just want to have a good marriage and it gets complicated. You want to get along with your in-laws and it gets complicated. You just want to get married. Why does it get so complicated? And you're like, oh my gosh, life is so complicated. But at the same time, one thing in the midst of complication that this psalm, the Psalm 1 is the compiler. Most people believe uh, psalm was compiled by Ezra. You know, uh, in the book of Ezra, he finds the law. And he was one of the, they think he was the compiler of the psalms. And it's funny and interesting that Psalm 1 says, yeah, you know what? When you go into psalms, you'll find the complexity and emotions of spiritual life. None of us in this room that have come to know Jesus Christ, you know, if you graph your spiritual life... Does anyone have a graph like this? You know, I became a Christian. I used to go to church, you know, just because my parents went and I thought it was the right thing to do. But then I found Christ not as a religion, but as a relationship. I repented of my sins. I became a Christian. Does any one of us have a simple graph like this? I became a Christian. Oh my God, I'm becoming like Jesus. I am Jesus. Oh my God. I just, I love God. I read my Bible all the time and I pray all, no. I mean, if you graph any one of our spiritual journey, it's like you become a Christian, you go backwards, forwards, backwards, you know, forwards. Sometimes you go 10 steps back and you never come forward. Sometimes you're stuck in another ditch. You're like, am I supposed to be stuck on this? And then somehow you come out of the ditch and it, it is a messy graph of our spiritual life. Well, with all that complexity, the psalmist says, okay, when you go into the psalms, you'll know that, you know, spiritual life and emotions involved in spiritual life is complicated. But at the same time, it's actually, we need to look at it simply, you know. And I don't know if you're going to be offended by this. Life is complicated. I believe the Bible doesn't really just give you just short answers. At the same time, the Bible says, you know what? There's complexity in life, but sometimes you have to look at the simplicity of life. And the psalmist starts by saying, this is the simplicity in life. When you live your life, even though it's very complicated, this is the simplicity of life. In life, there are two roads that you travel. Right? There are two roads. And the psalmist says, one road is you are living a life of blessing. Right? Being blessed by God and being a blessing to others. And you might not like the other road, but the other road, he says, is a life of wickedness. Away from God and not living for the Lord. Okay? And this idea of looking at life that way is not just the psalmist's idea. Because Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 7. He said, listen, in life there are two roads. You know, there is the broad gate, the broad road that... Many travel that will lead to destruction. And then he said, there is a narrow way and a narrow gate that few travel that leads to eternal life. And he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Of course, when he said that in the book of Matthew, he was talking about salvation. And he was saying, you know what? Many people would travel road without knowing that there was a Savior that came to save their life. Many will go into destruction and a few will live their life understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But I think even though that is applicable in in salvation, I think even as Christians, we have to kind of sit down and examine our life and go, you know what, which role am I really on? I mean, positionally, if you know Jesus Christ, all of us are on the road of blessing. But functionally, I mean, which role are you really living your life in? Are you living your life in the life of blessings from God and giving those blessings away to others? Or functionally, practically, you're really living in a life, as we'll describe in a few moments, that is full of chaffed. You know, it's going to get blown away. Stuff that you are building is just going to get blown away. And so it's simplicity, but I want us to look at that as we go and finish off uh, this retreat. 
is that what role are you on? You know, which role are you building on? Are you building on what the psalmist says, the way of blessing? Or are you building on a way of destruction and wickedness? Now, most of us, when we think about wicked, we're like, oh, I'm not building something on wicked because I'm not wicked. I'm, you know, I'm a little deceptive, but I'm not wicked. You know, I, you know, I do a few things wrong, but I'm not wicked. But, you know, Bible says, listen, when we're not building a life of blessing, when we're not building a life that God is pleased with, he says, that's the way of the wicked. And I know we don't like to look at that way, especially in our political cor- correct environment that we live in. But we've got to look in our life and try to be honest. Okay, what are we building in our life? So let's look at this psalm and let's learn from it. Uh, verse 1, and uh, I'll read to about verse 3 again. It says, Blessed is the man, it describes this blessed life, this blessed road, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his uh, delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit uh, in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. First, as the psalmist writes about this life of blessing, he actually gives you a warning first. Right? He says, hey, you know what? I know you guys want to live a life of blessing, okay? Because to be honest, I'm pretty sure everyone in this room, you did not spend this weekend so that you can live a life of wickedness. You know, how many in this room came here so you can live a life of wickedness? Raise your hand. Scary. Somebody, oh, <laughs> don't do that, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I know. So the psalmist says, okay, you want to live a life of blessing. I want to first give you some warnings when you want to live that life of blessing. So he starts with, in a way, warnings before he gives you positive, you know, examples. He says, "If you want to, if you, blessed is the man who's uh, who who does not walk in." He says, "The counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers." He says, "Listen, if you want to live a life of blessing, there's this warning. Be careful of these things." Now, I don't know if you've heard sermons on this. Here he talks. He says, "You know." You, he says uh, three things. He says, you know, be careful not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the seat of the mockers. Okay? So some scholar says what the psalmist is saying is he's talking about descending, you know, uh, descending, compromise, descending and compromising life. Somebody who, you know, first walks with the counsel. Of the wicked, you know, kind of like you hear things, you know, you shouldn't be hearing. You just kind of walk along. And you're not compromising, you know, but then start, slowly you, you stand, you know, uh, in the way of the sinner. So you're not only walking, you're like standing there listening to it, absorbing it. And then finally he says you sit down with it and now you're in the compromise and you're compromising your life. Some scholar says this is kind of once you let yourself on that slippery slope, you're going to slip all the way down from walking to standing, and then in the end, just sitting, and then you're used to it. You know, the whole illustration of you go into a dark room, and in the beginning, you're bumping into things, and you're wondering, you know, I don't want to be in this dark room, but if you stay in that dark room not long enough, you get so used to it that you start seeing, right, how to maneuver through the dark room. And you're no longer living in a litter... uh, 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 Amen. A room that is lit... Okay, you preach like me and wonder if you don't get tired. This is like exercise up here for me. And, um, what was yeah, you know, you get used to it and then you are sitting on it, a descending way of compromising, okay? Well, but the other scholar says, well, maybe it's not descending. Uh, maybe what it's talking about is the varieties of ways you can compromise. I mean, you can walk in sin, you know, you can stand with sin. Or you can, you know, sit down with sin. It's, it's a variety way of compromising. And then, you know, the guys who kind of build this descending order, they talk about Lot and they said, you know, Lot, when he, he winded up separating from Abraham, you know, he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and first you see him, you know, pitching his tent, you know, outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. Later on, he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you find out later, he winds up becoming one of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually, before he gets destroyed, you know, the Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed, we find that he might have been one of the leaders of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they said, that's an example of Lot. And the other guys say, you yeah, know, that could be true, but it might be the variety. Now, which interpretation is correct? I don't know. I don't really care right now. <laughs> right? 
But I, I think the main point is this. When you, and I don't know if this is true in your life, when you want to live a life for the Lord, there's so many ways to get off track. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, your heart is there. You know, you, you're sincere. You know, you're like, you know, I want to get back. I want to do these things for God. And it, it's so easy for you to, and I, to get off track. And I think what this psalmist is saying, when you want to live a life, I want to give you a warning. I want to give you a warning right now. When you want to live a life for God, and you want to live this blessed life, there are many ways, maybe descending ways, variety ways, many ways that you're going to be led astray. As one of the hymn writers says, we, even the best of us, the pastors, you know, the guys who preach all the time, to the elders, to the members, we are so prone to wonder. We are so prone to wander right into sin. We are so prone to wander to make the good things of God and start making it an idol. The gifts of God are starting to making it an idol. And I'll tell you, as I've been living my life, I, this is so true. You know, it's so easy, at least maybe not for you, but for me, to lose my heart for God and get busy and, and forget to spend time with God and not act like a Christian as I ought to. It's so funny in my house. Once in a while, my wife says something like this. You know, I, I do something. And it's not really wicked. It's kind of like not that good. And she's like, are you a pastor? Are you a pastor? And I'm like, what? What? And she's like, you know, you should be careful what comes out of your mouth. Are you a pastor? And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, honey. Sometimes she literally says this. She goes, are you a Christian? <laughs> I go, what did I do? You know, are you a Christian? And, you know, I mean, it's kind of a joke around my house, okay? Because, uh, but I think some of it is, is that, man... We could live so much not like a Christian. I mean, at our workplace, at our home, to our husband and our wife. I don't know if you're married. I don't know if you guys get into fights. Do you guys get into fights when you're married? I, I always say, like, if you've never fought in your marriage, you really are not married, you know. Because there was this one couple that they were in La La Land. And I go, have you gotten into a fight yet? They go, oh, no, no. It's been like, it was one year, right? They, they go, I haven't gotten into a fight. I go, you're not married yet. And one day I saw them, you can tell they got into a fight. <laughs> and I'm like, why am I talking about this? <laughs> right, why I'm talking about this is me and my wife have a joke. And don't use this in your marriage, okay? It's not ammo. We have this joke. We say, you know what? If one of us was like Jesus, I don't think we would fight. You know, so can you be like Jesus, honey? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you be patient and kind and, you know, forgiving? I mean, if one of us was like Jesus, I mean, you know, I, I, it takes two to tango. And sometimes, you know, we don't act like a Christian in our family. You know, we know we want to live this blessed life, but we find ourselves walking or standing or sitting or descending into things that we ought not to. And then some of us... If you're really honest, even though you're here and I know you're getting blessed, we live a dichotomized life. One part of our life is really, there could be some of us in this room living in sin. I mean, if we can show your life on a video, this part that you're hiding, it is wicked. You know, you're living way out there. And somehow you're able to keep the doors closed, but that door keeps opening once in a while. And this psalmist says, man, when you want to live a life of blessing... There's a lot of ways to go astray. And at least the first thing that I want to acknowledge to you and help us to acknowledge together is, I think all of us should say, yeah, I understand that because I, I go through that. Well, now he gives a positive example. He says, just I want you to know, you do not want to go that way, right? But this is the way that you want to go. In verse 2 he says, but delight in the law of the Lord, and on His law meditate day and night. So then he gives us the positive, you know, what we should do. Watch out for these roads that's going to lead you astray. Then he says, what you need to do is you need to delight in the law of the Lord and you need to meditate on it day and night. And this is uh, just basics of Christian life. But when the psalmist says delight, it's talking about falling in love and enjoying. And Psalm 119 has a whole, you know, Many, many, many verses about this. But the foundation of our spiritual life is in this Word of God. Okay, And one of the craziest things that believers in Jesus Christ does is that we say we're believers and we don't spend time 
in the food or in the instruction or the life source of our life. I mean, some of us in this room are medical doctors or some of us here are studying you know, computers. Imagine if you were in your field and you don't read up on it. You don't study it. You don't know anything about it. You know, how can you get better at it? Usually, you know, you want to go to a surgeon that studied surgery. You know, what do you, hey, did you study any surgery? No, no. How, how did you learn? National Geographics. I saw somebody cut an animal. You know, I'm thinking about doing that. And, you know, you, sometimes we wonder, like, how come we don't know what God wants? How come I don't know? How come I'm so confused? And I, I'll tell you, we so many times do not spend delighting in the Word of God. Uh, and there were a lot of statistics given, and they said that average Christians spend literally no time in the Bible, and even pastors, there's like five minutes a day. That's scary. I, I don't want anyone to raise their hand for this, but how many of us in this room have read through the Bible? Some of you are like, ah, that was me. When I was in junior high. You know, I don't want to get us in a legalistic track, but I, I want to ask you, do you delight in the scriptures? Do you spend time in the Bible? And uh, he says, you need to meditate on it day and night. I think the delight is the motivation. You know, we don't just do it because we know we have to do it. But I, I got to tell you, sometimes you should do it because you know you have to do it. You know what I mean? You got to clean your bathroom just because you have to clean it. If you don't, it's disgusting. It becomes like amical gas station bathroom, all right? You got to do it. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong. Sometimes in your life, you just read the Bible because you know you got to read the Bible. But of course, the whole thing is it's a relationship. If you lose the delight, after, if you've been reading the Bible for two years without any delight, you're going to be in trouble. But man, if you're just waiting for the delight, like, oh, I want the delight, I want the delight, it ain't going to happen. I don't care how you get there. you got to find that motivation of delight. But the other thing is you got to meditate on it day and night. Spend time meditating on it. And the word meditate is to really almost like uh, mutter. Like think about it over. Like one of those people that thinks they're, they're saying it over and over in their minds. It's so sad and thought. And, and, and Deuteronomy talks about how the Jewish people needed to meditate day and night. They need to carry the lock of you know the, the scriptures on their head. They need to put it on doorposts. They need the word of God just in their life. Because Bible says our thoughts are not like his thoughts. Our ways are not like His way. Most of the time, I have to tell you, if you're not freshly in the Scriptures, when we're thinking of making decisions, I don't know if it's like that with you, a lot of times we make decisions the way we want. But if Scripture is in our hearts, and we're meditating on it, delighting in it, then we're going to start hearing the voice of God. And God can speak to us in a fresh way. And I feel like that is one of the most missing ingredients of, of really living out this life is we don't spend time delighting and meditating on the Word of God. Do you know, I, I know you know this, but do you know God can speak to you? You don't need a pastor. You know, you don't need a good preacher. You don't need a good expositor. Do you know one of the things that Reformation did for the Christians is that they gave us the Scripture and that God, the voice of God, could be heard in our life every day through the Word of God as you study it. In fact, if you're one who can hear God's voice, and a lot of us want to hear God's voice, I'm going to tell you, you've got to spend time in the Word of God. God can speak to you. And sometimes it's freaky how much God can speak to you. You know, I, I remember uh, even in earlier of my Christian life, you know, uh, I, I shared with you, like, I think the first night or in the morning, or I'm not sure, uh, somebody, I mean, it was, it was wrong motivation. Somebody looked at me and said to me, Man, you got to read the Bible every day or God will judge you. And, you know, I was a little kid. I didn't know anything. I just got scared. So every day I read the Bible. And for three years, I really rarely skipped reading the Bible. And I remember every night I had to read a chapter or a verse. And then I would fall asleep. It was just a weird thing that happened to me for three years. After that three years, I kind of had struggled for the rest of my life. But that three years, I was uh, really consistent every day. And I remember one time, I was a young Christian, and I read in Matthew where it says, why do you tell your brother to take the speck out of his eyes when you got a log stuck in your eyes? You know, and I remember reading that. What does that mean? Speck, log, speck. And I, I kind of understood, why are you a hypocrite and stuff? And, and, and I remember the next day, uh, you know, I was like 16 years old. I'm the oldest Korean son. You know, I'm the... Uh, 
the oldest, you know, son. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was a bully. I just have to tell you, I was a bully. And, uh, you know, in my house, we didn't need a remote control because my brother and sister was a remote control, you know. <laughs> channel 5, Channel 7, you know, they have to raise the volume, high, you know, lower the volume, they got to go and do it. And, you know, and I, I, I never had to, you know, for literally 15, 16 years of my life, I didn't do dishes because my sister did it or my brother did it or my mom, I didn't do it. You know, I, I, I do it at home now. My wife has domesticated me, okay? But, you know, I didn't do it. And, uh, and I remember I was sitting, and my mom and dad was going to come, and, and there was a pile of dishes. And, I, you know, I, I said to my sister, hey, can you go do the dishes? And she says, no, you do it. And every, like, twice a year, my brother and sister used to get together and start a mutiny against me. <laughs> you know, and this might have been one of those years, you know, that moment. And, you know, they would get together, and they, they literally, because, you know, they would come and, we're not listening to you anymore. I remember ever since we were little, they would do that once in a while. But I was always chunkier and bigger than them. So, you know, anyway. So they said that. They go, oh, we're not going to do it. And, you know, first, as an older brother, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you. I don't have any money, but I say, I'll give you $5. They say no. And then I tell my younger brother, I go, if you do the dishes, you know, I'll play Monopoly with you, you know. And he's like, no. And I go through this. And then finally, I get, I usually, I used to have a little bit of anger problem. I had a lot of problems in my life. (laughs) And I would get angry. And then I'd be like, if you don't do it, you're going to get in so much trouble. And then, you know, I, you know, I just get all, like, angry. And so I was right at that point. And then I read that scripture the day before and just meditated. What does that mean? And then suddenly something started speaking into my mind and said, you know, why do you tell your brother and sister to do dishes when you never do dishes? And I go, that's not what I read. <laughs> What's it talking about? And, you know, basically it was getting translated in my mind saying, you go do the dishes. I mean, literally, it's like, it was the weirdest thing. You know, you go do the dishes. Why do you tell your brother and sister to take the log out of, I mean, spec when you don't take the log out? And I, it was the weird, I had to stand up and I, like, instead of getting angry, I stood up and I went and I started doing dishes. And, you know, you wish that there was revival and my brother and sister saw God and stuff. But they didn't. They stood back and they, they were like really like, what are you doing? And then they started making fun of me. You know, like, oh, you're doing dishes. Now we don't ever have to do it again. And they're going on and on. And I'll tell you, I mean, that's one point. I mean, there's so many different places that when I had the word of God in my heart and in my mind, I was meditating on it. God speaks. I mean, he talks to you. I mean, he talks to you. I, I don't know what to tell you. He really talks to you. And the more theology and the more scripture that's freshly in your soul, sometimes it's freaky how much he'll talk to you. I mean, a lot of us in this room want to hear God's voice. And I, I want to tell you right now, I think God speaks far more than we listen. God wants to say things to us about our marriage, about our decisions, far more than we listen. And this scripture says, listen, there's, a, there's many ways to fall off the track but one way to stay on the track is you got to delight in the law of God and you got to meditate on it day and night. And I just want to give you a simple challenge. Read your scriptures regularly, daily, weekly, monthly, because this is scary. There's some of us in this room that I know you want to live the blessed life. You have not read the Bible for like months except when you came to this retreat. Really, opened it up, looked at it, and said, God, speak to me for months. I mean, can you imagine not eating food for one month? Just one month. Try it. You'll be like, I'm going to die. Some of us fast lunch. Lunch. Oh, I can't do that. You know, I can't fast lunch. It's the middle of my work day. Can you imagine if you don't eat for a month? I know these are just simple high school illustrations, but... Gosh, no wonder sometimes we're in decision-making and we're just so confused. God, what do you want? Do you want me to buy the house? Not buy the house. Buy that car? Not buy the car. Do you want me to go on that mission ship? Not, oh, Lord, what? Because for so long, we haven't been hearing God's voice because we have not been meditating and delighting in the Word of God. And I, I, I got to tell you, you got to spend time in the Word. And of course, when I say spend time in the Word, you got to pray. I'm going to give you two advices that I try in my life that really helps me. Number one, Before you leave, if you can, I want you to pick a place that you're going to spend time in the Word of God and pray. And you got to pick a time, okay? 
Because usually, I don't know if it happens to you, but usually it's like this. You wake up in the morning, you're like, man, I know I should spend time with God and spend time in His Word and praying and thinking about stuff. And then the whole day goes, and then you're sleeping. And then you wake up, and the whole day goes, and, you, and then you're doing it. It really helps when you go, you know what? I'm going to go to this spot, and I'm going to spend time with God at this spot. Right? For 15 minutes, 20 minutes, one hour. Do you have a place? Maybe it's just me. I work like that. You know, I... Maybe it's just me. I'm one of those guys that like kind of designate a spot and it helps me to get in the mood of situation. You know, the ambiance helps me. I was trying to use a fancy word. I guess I didn't use it right. <laughs> right? The mood, right? And uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of places I share with you. When I was in high school, one of the places I loved to go pray and spend time reflecting on God's word was uh, Northwestern Campus. And I told you about how I would stand, you know, at that rock, try to avoid all those guys who were making out, you know, find a good spot. And I, I don't know, I would get there and I would just spend time praying, looking out into Lake Michigan. Usually what I would do is I would read a scripture and, cause, and I would go there and then I would think about the scripture. They have a couple verses and then I would pray to God and stand in there. And it really helped me to encounter God, you know, in that, on the rocks of Northwest. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you? Go there. It's pretty nice, okay? Uh, and there's different spots that I would use to. Uh, right now, in, in current life, uh, there's two places that I love spending. With. Now, it's, there's three places. One of it is, is in my boys' room. We have this rocking chair that we bought, you know, uh, ever since my first daughter. You know, the, the, for the, uh, the moms, for, you know, rocking the babies and, you know, and feeding them and stuff like that. And I love spending time on that rocking chair, you know. So what I would do is, and usually my time is, you know, I, I don't think, I don't suggest this to you. I, I'm a night owl, so like usually my kids are sleeping, and then my wife, you know, I have to help her to fall asleep. She's like, honey, you know, can, can you just stay here until I fall asleep? You know, and she's, she's knocked out. Then I come, come out, and then I go to the rocking chair, and I get on my knees. And I, I, it's just me. I, I like to pray on my knees. Not all the time, but it really helps me to really pray. So I get on my knees and I get on the rocking chair and I rock because I'm spazzy. I, I can't sit still. I got to usually when I when I'm praying, I usually got to walk around or I can. So I rock and I and I I spend time right there with the Lord. I think about the scripture that I read and I pray for people. Lord help that person. Lord help that person. <laughs> and you know and and I spend time there. Uh, the other place that I spend time praying and is my house. If you if you guys ever if you're ever in Philadelphia, you can come by. Uh, it has a, like, you can kind of make a circle around the kitchen and this area. And I spend time walking around at night, you know, round and round. Spend time praying. Sometimes it freaks out. my what are you doing? And I'm like walking around, right? But that's where I, I spend time with God, you know. I don't know where you're going to pick the, the place or the time. But I'll tell you, you should have a place that you designate. You know, here I am, you know, in my, in my study, I'm going to spend time with God. Here I am really when I'm driving. You know, I'm really going to spend time with God. You know, right before work starts, I'm going to get there 15 minutes early because at home it's crazy. I'm going to turn on some praise music. And right before I go into my, you know, office or whatever, in the parking lot, I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to pray. I don't know where it is, but man, you need to figure out a place and a time that you're really going to meditate on it. One of the great things you can do is maybe after Sunday, after the sermon, you take the sermon note, Monday you make sure you spend another 30 minutes in that sermon, making sure that it really goes into your life and really, you know, God speaks to you through that sermon. Amen? Right? I know you think like, oh, that's so, I guarantee. If after this retreat, you had pick a place, you pick the time, and you spend regular time in the Lord, really open to the scripture, God speaking to my heart, by next year, you'll be preaching up here. I got so much conviction. Lord has said this. Lord has said that. I'll tell you right now. So the psalmist says, listen, you need to know that there's many ways to be led astray. And you need to know that you need to delight in the law, law of the Lord. And you need to meditate on it day and night. Then he says this in verse 3. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So then he says, this is the warning, and this is the positive you know, way of doing it. And then he says, if you, if you understand the warning and you do the positive, this is the picture. 
the poetic way. He says, you're like a tree planted and you're growing and you're producing the right fruit at the right time and you are growing. And when I first read this psalm, the picture that I had was one of those trees and streams, you know, where if you've ever gone to a place where there's these trees and there's a stream and they're like, it's green all across and, you know, they're, they're, you know, their roots are like almost hanging on the, the, the river or the stream. You guys know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. It's like that. But actually, when I researched this, what I realized was it's talking about trees in the desert. And if you've ever gone to Israel or Jordan or that area, there's a lot more desert area than a, a stream that goes by. And it's talking about a tree that has found an underground source of river that's flowing. So it's a tree that's not really, it's not really describing, I don't think, a tree that's in the midst of all this green thing. It's a tree that is growing in the middle of the desert. It's like you look at the tree, how is that thing growing? I mean, everything else looks like it's dying, but here is this tree, this fig tree that is growing, and the reason is it's found its source of underground resource, so that even though the circumstance looks like this tree should die, this tree is growing because it has found its living source underground, the Word of God that it's delighting in and that it's really growing in. And I want to challenge those in harvest, become the trees of God. I mean, your kids' ministry is called the seed, right? After you plant the seed, then you can become a tree. I really would love it if there are some of us in this room, and I hope all of you, that will really stand strong like a tree as described here. In the midst of desert, in the midst of storm, when nothing is going right, you're still drinking from underground resources and you're standing strong. There are so many Christians that are just fickle, that go back and forth. I hope that in this ministry there will be men and women that are like oaks and pines. You know, oak, big, pine, isn't it skinny, right? Amen. <laughs> and that will grow strong. Amen. Well, then, then the psalmist goes the other way and he says this. Well, let me just describe the way of the wicked. He says, the way of the wicked is like a chaff that the wind blows away. Right? A chaff that the wind blows away. And only time I, I, I've dealt with chaff and wheat was in Africa. And we uh, was at this one center. And we, we had to help, like, do this, you know, get the chaff out of the wheat. And, and if you've ever done this, what happens is you look in this pile of wheat. And, it, and, and you can't really tell the chaff and the wheat. It, it looks very similar. You know? And then if you try to pick that thing out, it's really hard. But if you re- literally, if you really throw it up in the air, and if there's a good wind, then all the chaff that kind of looks like the wheat gets blown out. Okay? And in fact, the chaff is so light that when you throw it up in the air and you take a fan, and a big fan, and you do this, it, the chaff actually gets blown out. Right? But when you look at it, When you look at it and you try to pick it out by hand, the chaff and the wheat, they look so similar, you can't really tell. But when you blow that wind, the things that are meaningless, the chaff that are useless, will be blown away. And what I think the psalmist is saying is this. Listen, if you you can live a life, you are like a tree that's planted. And even though there's desert area, you found the source of drinking water from God. And you can grow, or you can live the life of wicked, and it looks like everything is fine. But you're actually storing up chaff. You know? And that's what's scary. I think what it is, is the way of the wicked, you know, when you look at it, it looks like the wheat, the real thing. But one day, there will be a wind that blows. Wind of God's judgment, or wind of trouble, or wind of finally going, what does God want in my life? And when that wind blows, you realize, oh my goodness. I thought I was storing up wheat. But that wind blew, and it was all chaffed. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this age, our age bracket, most of us in this room, between like 28, I know some of you are younger, to about 35, 36, 40. I think the American lifestyle and the way that, you know, so many things bombard us and our, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith that lives next door, I think it's very easy for us to do this Christian thing as well as American Christian thing. And without us knowing, I think it's very easy for us to build a lot of wheat, a little bit of wheat, and a lot of chaff. And that wind's going to blow. And sometimes 
you know, we think we got a lot of things going, but that wind's going to blow. And we realize, man, I didn't build a lot here. It was all chaffed. Maybe it's me. It's so funny because, like, you know, when I was hitting 40, you know, I I would hear about this midlife crisis stuff, and I'd be like, what is that? I mean, you know, why you go through midlife crisis? You know, know, if you're a man, you don't go through no midlife crisis. I went through midlife crisis. (laughs) I was hitting 40. I don't know why. I don't care about my birthday, but my 40th birthday, it was like a big thing. I go, now, honey, you better do something special. And I'm like, my wife's like, come on, Annette. I mean, we're really busy. But I, I just went through... What am I doing in my life? You know, I'm, I'm going to hit 40, and, you know, what am I doing? And what is ministry? And, you know, I remember that year, and I, I'm kind of pretty much out of it, but just thinking and evaluating and, and realizing that there's a lot of chaff that I stored up even as a pastor, you know, like putting my identity on the, how many people come to our church or putting my identity on, you know, just different, you know, status of a pastor, and I, I, I remember just thinking through it, going like, God, you've got to blow this stuff out of my system. You know? And I want to just ask and just challenge you. I don't know. You know. Are you piling up chaff? Because the wind's going to blow. And it's going to blow it all away. And one day you're going to go like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Are you storing up chaff and not wheat. And how do you know if you're storing up chaff? You got to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God blow into your life and see what you are made out of. You know, uh, I think there's some of you, some of us in this room, I, I really think when you hit around 40 and a little older, you start thinking that way. Like, what, what's life about? You know, am I really living the life that I ought to live? When you're like, you know, 28, you just got married, you had your first kid. I mean, you know, you're like, oh my God, I just got to feed this kid. <laughs> and I, another kid, I got to feed the other kid. Third, another one, I got to feed the third one. No more, you know. And then you get, you're busy. Oh, I got to get married. You, you're like running life. But I'll tell you, there will be a day that wind will blow. And you will look at your life and go like, man, what am I, what, what have I built in my life? I met this uh, doctor when I went to uh, China and, uh, this is like five years ago, so I think he was like 40-something, and, and he was a, a, a kidney specialist, and uh, you know, he, he was just, he, he, I don't think it was boasting, but you know, he just plainly said, because you know, we got to travel all over China, we rode this 14-hour train you know, up north to China, and we went to this like, rural area, and it was just awesome. I mean, I, you know, I was a pastor, so they took me to this house church, and they said, you know, you know, I need you, we need you to baptize some people because there's some, like, you know, 100 people that came to know Christ. So I went to this house and it was jam-packed with 150 people and they brought, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the baptism water and it's so funny because, you know, Chinese name is pretty tough. It's like Ying Chang Xin Shang or something like that. Sorry, I, I'm so sorry to butcher that name. It was a pretty tough name. And so they would say the name, but I, you know, I, I'm really bad at pronouncing, so I can't pronounce it. So I would just say, I baptize you, sister. I baptize you, brother, you know, or anyway. So I baptized 150 people, and they were just waiting, and it was in the winter. And, and so I spent a lot of time with this man who was a kidney specialist, and he, you know, he just plainly said, he goes, Young, i got to tell you, I'm like 40-something. And he said, I have a lot of money. <laughs> His wife was a pediatrician, and he was a kidney specialist. He's like, my practice, i got a lot of money. You know, we have a good house. I, I love my kids. I'm an elder at this church. But lately, I've been asking, what is life about? You know, what, what, I mean, is this the way I'm going to go? I mean, is this, and I'm not trying to cut down making money or having a good house or stuff. He says he was really evaluating, and he realized, you know what? I want to do more with my life than what I'm, I, I don't want to just go for American dream. I want to do more with my life. So he said, you know, after this trip, me and my wife were really talking, and we want to cut down our, our life expenses, and we really want, he says, my goal is that six months out of the year, I'm traveling, doing medical work for, you know, other countries and for the poor neighborhood. And that I'm trying to live on six months of what I do. And so that's kind of what we're doing. And, you know, I, you know, I, I just met him in this, you know, China mission trip. And I looked at him going like, okay, <laughs> all right. You know, you know, because, hey, man, if you got money and you start using it, it's hard. You know, like, I'll tell you right now, like, if you know me in college and stuff, I thought, you know, when I was marrying my wife, and I told her, honey, if you marry me, we will be poor, 
And sometimes we will only eat rice and soy sauce. <laughs> I literally said that to her. And she's like, weird guy. And she married me, right? But no, you know, this, I know some of you, this is not even a problem. But when we bought our house, because just the, my mentality and some of it was wrong, I, like, I had a lot of count. I'm like, well, you know, I thought I was going to be poor, but I live in the suburbs. Night, I like my house. Car, and, you know, there's a big tree and a good yard, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty nice house. I mean, it's not extravagant, but it's a pretty nice house. And, and I, you know, we have all this stuff, and my wife comes to me, and she says, like, because she works, and, you know, my salary is pretty little, and she says, like, you know, hon, you know, am I ever, can I ever retire? And I just look at her, and I say, yeah, anytime you can quit. We're going to sell the house and live in an apartment and get rid of our, you know, car. And, you know, we got to live in this inner city. All right, let's go, honey. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll just keep working, you know. And, you know, what I'm saying is it's hard to downsize. You know, it's easy to upsize. But once you go upsize, dang, it's hard to go downsize. Man, if if you've been driving a luxury car, it's hard to get a Kia. You know, like, if you eat at a high-quality restaurant, it's hard to go back to McDonald's. Even if they say, loving it. You're like, I ain't loving that hamburger. That thing is poison, you know? So, you know, a lot of times when I hear people thinking through that, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to downside. I looked at them going like, you know, it's just, you know, life. I'm a little bit positively cynical. Okay. Two doctors making tons of money. You know, can you downsize? Well, yeah, I wanted I, I actually, I'm pretty close to that. I wanted up going downsized. They moved. They're really going out to missions like two, three, you know, months of the year. And they're really trying to push towards that. And I said, man, that's really evaluating your life. And asking, what am I building? And, you know, when I say this, I'm not telling you to downsize. I'm just asking you, maybe you need to blow some stuff into your life, the Word of God, and ask, what am I building, you know? Because this might be chaff, you know? I met another guy just recently in Dallas. It was a, a Chinese brother, and um, he blew some wind into his life. He owns a printing press. And as I was talking to this brother, I found out, you can tell, I mean, he was trying to be modest, but he was pretty rich. Uh, he had just built a home in, in California, uh, basically from scratch, like his dream home. So you got to come over. You know, I mean, we got, you know, my wife loves the, uh, you know, the kitchen. But then he says, but I do all the cooking, you know, and all this stuff, right? Uh, and so I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, and stuff like that. But then I start talking to him, and I realized, man, this guy has, like, so much heart for ministries. You know, he does a printing press. He goes, hey, uh, Pastor Young, he said, hey, you know what? If you need something printed, and I know you have a campus church, uh, and you need it, and you don't have the money, it's on me. As long as my, my business don't lose money, it's on me. Anyway, most of my money I make, you know, from non-Christians <laughs> who, you know, come and press it and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I give a cheap price. And he's, like, talking. I realize, man, he really is focusing his life. And he says one of the reasons that he loves his printing press is, you know, this uh, thing is he can do so much for different churches and bless them and help them. And he, he says his vision is when there's a startup church, he wants to know it. And if, if it's a good person that has a relationship, he wants to just help them out. If they need, you know, flyers, he said, you know, if one of these days you want to flyer thousands of people, call on me. You know, I'll give you like dirt cheap price, you know, but you know, of course he didn't say free, which I like the word, right? But he didn't say, it. but you know, I, I saw in his heart that even though he was making a lot of money, I mean, he was really blowing the wind, trying to get rid of the chaff and understanding what he was doing, what he was going to make that money for. Let me stop. There are two roads. Road of blessing. You can easily get astray, but you need to spend time in God's Word, meditating on it, and He will speak to you. Road of wickedness. You build a lot of chaff, and it looks real. And you keep building, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I live for. One day, it's going to get blown away. Which road are you on? What are you building? Are you building to be a tree? Or are you building a lot of chaff that's going to get blown away? Only two people know that answer. Maybe three if you're married. God, you, your husband and your wife. you got to really think about that. And I'll tell you, retreats like this and afterwards, man, it's a great time for you to look in your life and go, okay, are there some chaff that I should blow away 
before it stacks up and I'm living my life for that thing. This is a great place, great time for you to reevaluate what role am I traveling? What am I building? Am I, am I becoming like a tree? Or is my life filled with a lot of chaff that I should be blowing out anyway? Amen? Let's pray. There are some of you in this room that over-evaluate your life. And I hope that this message doesn't make you sit around getting guilty and going like, yeah, I got all this chaff, and oh no, you know, I feel so guilty. You know, that's my, not my intent. I mean, I, I really think it's not about stressing out, but it's really about delighting in God's Word and meditating on it and letting that, that Word of God blow into your life, naturally blowing away some chaff. Right? So those of you who over-evaluate, I really think you need to be careful how you apply this message. But there's some of us in this room, you have not evaluated your life in a long time. And I, my thinking is, you're at this retreat, and I feel like you know I've played soccer with some of you, and I've preached in front of you. I feel like you have sincere hearts. You know, I, I've talked with some of you briefly, and I feel like some of you are really seeking. I mean, if, for me... You know, definitely my uh, congregation, the average age is about 25. I, I deal with a lot of the younger guys. But it's very blessing to see guys in 35, 40s trying to live for the Lord. But I want to challenge you. When was the last time that you just kind of looked at your life and things are going well, things are not, and you let God's word blow? And let it expose some chaff that you've been storing up. Maybe it's time for a little cleanup. Maybe it's time to be real and say, man, you know, because you know what's funny about chaff? You kind of know when you're doing it. Spending a lot of time on things that, you know, is not putting value into your marriage or into your relationship with God, into you becoming more like Christ. It's funny, we kind of know. If, we're, if we sit down and especially we let the Word of God be delighted and meditating in our life, we kind of know. And even when you don't, you kind of know. Let it blow. Let the Word of God blow. I mean, this is a great time. I'll guarantee, I'll, I'll guarantee you this. If you open your heart right now and say, Lord, speak to me. What are some chaffs in my life? And if you're really honest, some spooky things could happen. God might talk to you and say, Son, you already know the chaff that I've been talking to you about. What are you doing? Wasting your time doing that. You know, that's not helping your marriage. That's not helping your friendships. That's not helping your relationship with me. I can give you the strength to blow that away. To start sweeping it. God wants to speak to us. And I I think he's already speaking to us. Can you do that just for a moment? And some of you, you might hear nothing. You know, it might be nothing. But I'll tell you, many times, God is already blowing His voice into our hearts. Just go to the Lord right now and say, God, as David said in the psalm, search me, O Lord, and show me the things that are offensive to you. Search me, O God. Holy Spirit, search me. Blow your wind, your presence, your word. Right now, as we've been singing and incubating in his presence, God, blow your majesty. Search me, O Lord. What is this thing that I need to stop? What is this chaff that I need to blow? And it might be just something really simple. I don't know. Maybe, I don't think... I don't know if it's applicable. Maybe you're watching too much TV. Maybe you spend too much worrying about 
what other people have. They got a bigger house. They got a better car. When am I going to get a new car? They send their kids there. When, when can we send? And I, you know, I'm not saying all those things are wrong. I mean, all of us wants to do better for our family and our life. But maybe God wants to say, you know, you're starting to build a lot of chaff there. I don't know where it is, but can you just spend a few moments just letting the word of God, letting his presence blow and just saying, God, speak to me. What are some chaffs that I'm storing up that's going to get blown away anyway? Just a few minutes. Let's just do that for a few moments.